You're listening to Potluck, the podcast that stirs up a unique flavor of people, culture, and brands in Asia. Hosted, as always, by Scott and Drago. Continue our conversation with Charlotte in our next segment, Hacking Humans. No murderous intent here. In fact, uh, we are uh, planning to bring to life Charlotte's views and approaches around the role of insight, understanding humans, culture and psychology, and how that plays a role in business decision making. So Charlotte, we always ask our guests uh, what um, hacks they have in order to understand people in a deeper way, in order to understand people and their culture, how they generate deeper insight. Um, so if we apply that lens specifically to women, uh, what would you say is your best practice advice? Um, I think it's, you know, em- empathy's got to be key. So it's, it's about challenging um, approaches. If you're doing a focus group, you're not going to get very close to women. You're not, 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 not least the fact you're often sat behind some glass. You've got a, a local speaking moderator and a translator kind of going there. Um, so I always try and avoid focus groups where possible, either get into smaller, more intimate group situations or, or one-on-one for a start. Um, because of the, the, the multi-modality of women's minds, I also look much broader. So not just what they're saying to me, but what they're demonstrating. So sitting side by side with them and looking at who they're liking on, on Instagram, which brands they're actually following on Facebook, who are they actually interacting with? Because it often says a lot more than, than when you ask them a direct question. Sure. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's about multi-layered approaches rather than sort of single, single approaches. And it obviously it depends a little bit you know, what you're actually speaking to them about. But that certainly seems to be the way that I've got closer. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you guys asked me previously, but um, it's not only using female moderators sure. or women in the markets. I have, um, as a priority, I try to work with female-owned businesses because female-owned businesses have more of a challenge um, in terms of support and funding and access to investment, etc. But it doesn't mean that I reject male moderators. But a lot of the work I do, I'm not, I'm not typically kind of doing shampooed style content. Sure. It's mostly far more intimate work, really talking about women's health or real struggles with finance, etc. So I think just being female enables you a little bit more to understand the stories or at least enables women to open up a little bit more to you. Mm. Okay. So that context aside for a second, I'll go back to mm-hmm. that to that question, if I may, about is there now we, as researchers, we try to understand what our, you know, um, what the opportunity is to understand people, but what our limitations are too. Yeah. Do you think there is something that we as male researchers, there's something that, you know, we cannot understand? Is there something that only a female researcher can wrap their head around when it comes to understanding women? And, and, and I mean this, you know, uh, really, is, is there something? <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I think it just come back to that empathy piece. You know, yeah. I, I spoke to a client a couple of years ago who work in a sanitary protection and it's an all-male team. Mm. And, you know, their intent, they, they told me that they actually, they do actually wear sanitary towels so that they can understand the experience that women go through. Sure. But, Even doing that, you don't really understand what cramps are like. You don't really understand what it's like being in the office, feeling sick, that that sort of thing. So I think there are obviously things that women um, naturally understand. The same with men, you know. If you talk to me about 
various men's issues. I wouldn't ever have experienced them. Therefore, I'm never going to be able to really probe it. Um, so, yeah, I think there's, there's obviously areas that are much better for women to be able to just get that you know, connection. I think it's not necessarily even about experiencing. It's about, yeah, I get it. You know, literally we're seeing eye to eye. Yeah, being there, done that, I understand. Having that shared experience. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And women are more likely to share experiences than men are, so. Sure, okay. I'm slightly jumping a gun to part of my next question anyway, Charlotte, but I think what I'm curious about is the client side. So you mentioned an all-male team there. Um, how much of your of your sort of battle, if you like, or, or in your job is to actually um, bring on board perhaps a, a male insights manager or male marketing member who maybe you're trying to sort of bring to life the insights so they understand it to be able to action? How, because that must be surely half the battle at least. Um, yeah, and I'd say there are two or three clients I work with who that's their role. It's it's not necessarily that they need to have a female insights manager. Mm. It's that they outsource that role effectively to somebody like me to guide them sure. in terms of decision making. So it's not to say that they can't do it, yeah. but they're always going to have to use somebody like me or use the other agencies on the ground to really get beneath the skin of, of things, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think something you mentioned earlier on as well was like a lot of the work that Drago and I do as well, you're right, you're often maybe working on something which is more upstream, or it could be an idea, a platform, a positioning, and maybe not always the final execution where that maybe is the, beyond the realm of maybe what clients want to research or maybe goes into some kind of quant. Um, but I'm interested in that part because you're right, because so much of it, you can have the best, you know, strategy, the best tactical advice, but it often comes down to those like copy guidelines, the, the you know, who, the, the, the casting, the, you know, not just in video form, but in any form of brand communication. So are you trying to kind of enforce some brands that stage of the journey as well like really you know what can we do for the final nine yards if you like i try (laughs) so yeah i think that's partly because because of the way that i can work i i can work along the full sort of journey to market so Mm. i do actually work with quite a few ad agencies where they bring me in when they're pitching or when they're actually um you know creating creating content Mm. as a bit of a sense check um i think the only challenge i see is i'm not sure that the ad agencies value that Hmm. it's when it's when it's more pushed by the client that they seem to engage engage in that yeah i've also worked with with clients to um help them understand what good looks like in terms of representativity in in campaigns Hmm. um so you're not you know you're not having all little girls wanting to be ballerinas that not every woman is Hmm. pristinely made up that she's the one doing laundry and things like that so I, i I try to push further down, and some clients really see that value, um, but it is a bit of a challenge. Okay, so let's sort of, uh, just to help you um, also explain a bit more of the different kind of business models you have, you've already touched on it in a number of ways, but if we start with Hello Sister, which was the uh, the first business you, f- you founded after you, you, you sort of moved away from more of the more conventional insight space, uh, I know you help brands in various ways there, you know, just looking at your site, you talk about brand positioning, as I've just mentioned, anti-stereotype communication guidelines, um, I mean, and you just told Drago a little bit about some of the methods you apply. But you, you talked to us before about some more edgy uh, methods. Maybe be really keen to hear a bit more about, you know, how does Hello Sister kind of, you know, work? How do, you know, what are some of the ways that you would help clients, um, perhaps to give an example or two? Well, so, so, for example, with um, teenage girls in China, literally sat and had pizza nights with them. Okay. Three girls on a sofa. And, and a moderator and, and me. Yeah. <laughs> and I, to be honest, then I didn't even um, I didn't even have a translator in the room at the time. Mm. It was um, I don't I don't speak enough Chinese to f- to be able to follow the conversation. But sure. every now and then the moderator would kind of go, 
you know, this is coming through so I could probe, probe immediately. I didn't even listen to the to the translation till afterwards. But it was like a girls' night and um, you know, it's a bit of a risk for the client to do that because I know that the other proposals they were looking at were very traditional focus groups. But literally, we were talking about periods as a teenage girl. And so that is that that was the subject. So yeah. the pizza night was just the, the, the forum to create that sense of ease and naturalness. And it's kind of how they would talk to their girlfriends mm. um, about sure. it. Actually, they don't so much. That's perhaps one of the issues. Um, yeah, so it's kind of it's that sort of thing. So I think it's just it's obviously very different for every single project. Um, I've also done kind of women's safari. So um, quite a lot of the work I've done is from clients outside of Asia. Mm. So it's helping them understand women in Asia. Mm. So it's literally going to the right, going to where they shop, taking them to where they, um, you know, hang out, mm. taking them to the bars and restaurants that they go to, showing them real lives. Because I think a lot of our clients as well live in kind of the ivory towers. It's not even the male-female issue. It's that, mm. you know, you've got people who are, who are either working in Singapore in very regional roles who don't really understand what it's like to actually be, um, you know, pretty pretty impoverished in certain markets. Yeah. And you're trying to tell them, hey, you need to use this mascara that makes you look amazing. Mm-hmm. It's that sort of, it's the distance from um, the economic reality mm. as well as the, the gender reality as well. Mm. So it's those sort of things that... Yeah, taking them on a journey around women's mindset and her occasions and things like that. Okay, and then and then the other part of what you do is is a, a slightly more recent business, but still very much in, in sort of the broader diversity spaces. Is side by side, um, where you're also you talked to us before, but you are applying some of those insight skills. But obviously, there's a lot to focus on employees, internal culture, um, helping companies think about people. Um, Tell us more about that. That, that sounds fascinating. And, and uh, we can dig into some of, again, the ways you work in, on, on that side of the business. Yeah. So basically, um, because I've done so much work with women, people are starting to ask about, well, if you understand women generally, can you help us understand female employees? Mm-hmm. You know, particular business, we're really struggling to um, attract women to apply to work for us. What do you think we're doing wrong? Um, and as I say, using traditional insight skills, using kind of qualitative work, but also looking at... Um, numbers um, helps you roughly as an outsider you tend to see an awful lot more opportunity or weaknesses than they will internally mm. in terms of their process etc um, so that's kind of how it started obviously a passion as well and my my partner Lara as well we both had the same the same sort of goal um, we also recognize there's a lot there's a lot of diversity and inclusion initiatives that are brought into Asia um, they're not originated in Asia so like with any marketing campaign, if you bring something here, you kind of have to localize it. And the same applies to diversity. So if you're bringing in initiatives that came from Australia, Europe, um, US, which is where a lot of the work currently sort of is okay. starting and happening, doesn't mean that it applies here necessarily. So Twitter, for example, they've got 20 week paternity leave globally. Now, very, very few men in Asia will take up 20 weeks mm, paternity mm, leave yeah. for various reasons. I think you can all imagine them. Now, if you're bringing an initiative that people aren't taking up, that's kind of a waste of initiative. It hasn't been landed effectively because the local needs are not there. doesn't mean to say that it's not a good initiative, but if it's not going to be um, enacted and taken up, you know, you will lose that budget eventually. So you need to kind of find things that are actually going to you know, really change direction of the business rather than just nice to haves um so again it's part of prioritization you know think of all these sort of innovation and strategic approaches it's like which of the initiatives are actually going to drive some action are actually going to start to change things rather than they're just nice to to have so 
you know, things like maternity leave, actually changing a few weeks of maternity leave doesn't actually have that much impact on attracting women into a mm. business. Um, I'd you know, people would love to have a few more weeks, of course, but it doesn't change how many more women apply to, mm. to the role, etc. It's more the culture and it's more the, the way that the jobs are described that affects that sort of thing. So it's kind of, it's using a lot of insight and marketing skills in that space. So where would you say like the sweet spot is for side by side? Because obviously there's some things you talked about there which are like policy changes, which maybe are, are quite hard to influence if it's a global company or, but then there's also, I know you do things like, uh, you know, activator labs, you do these quick bite training sessions, you have the obviously consultancy around that, but like who who is typically, who are you working with in these businesses and like how are you sort of, what, what's an example of a brief, if you like? This is where it's very hard because mm. um, there's multiple buying points. Diversity and inclusion is still quite nascent mm. in this region. So sometimes it could be L&D, sometimes it could be HR. Okay. Sometimes it is a very key stakeholder, um, you know, in the C-suite who's really championing a specific area. So it's very diverse um, briefs, mm. um, very diverse budgets, I have to say as well. Um, sometimes it still is about engaging. You've got HR professionals who are not DNI experts who are suddenly tasked with doing X, or you've got people who are sitting on um, diversity inclusion councils, but they're not. They're very passionate, um, but they're not necessarily got. They don't necessarily have the resources to be able to deliver content. Um, but I think behaviour changes are key focus. It's about changing behaviour. It's not about just putting things into place. It's they will only work if you can actually get people to adopt new behaviours. Which again mm. comes back to marketing processes. It's kind of what is the change we want to people to adopt, and how? What are the mechanics and what are the metrics we can put in place to actually drive that? Is it about simplifying message? Is it making the opportunity really easy to adapt and um, take back into the business? Or is it just sort of, yeah, global mandates around the world? Speaking of um, hacking humans, understanding people, um, I'd like to pull back a bit, if that's okay. Um, something that uh, you've mentioned somewhere, I can't remember if it was in conversation or I read something of, of yours. Um, uh, when it comes to the life stage, to generational differences, uh, you're saying that that's uh, even more of an important factor for women than for men. Can you explain a little bit about that? And is that uh, uh, more or less relevant to Asia as a, as a second f follow up question there? I think, yeah, obviously, um, physically, our life stages are far more um, apparent and impactful on women than they are men. And that's, that's, a, that's a matter of fact that, you know, women, you know, reaching puberty is very different and what they go, what girls go through at that stage. Um, deciding to have children or not having children obviously affects them going back into the workforce after they do or repeatedly leave, leaving a workforce to have kids as women reach menopause and things you know there's a lot of things that you know physically it does actually impact everything we do you know what we want to eat how we want to exercise how we want to look after ourselves how we work to men it, on them versus men it's it's far less impact sort of aging or arriving between puberty and aging than it is for women yeah. um, and, we, and we can't help that um, so actually quite a lot of the projects I have done has been looking at multi-life stages mm -hmm. to be honest um, in Asia does it affect people in Asia more well it's, it's different so for example um, you know women going back to work there's far more um, grandparent support in Asia than there are in other markets which means um, you know mums do go back to work much quicker which leaves a whole load of other problems, but it's also opportunities for businesses and brands to support women in those spaces as well. Um, 
you know, there's the millennial mindset people always talk about. Um, millennials in Asia, um, I think they're, they're very differentiated. That again, there's not, it's not one bucket of, um, of millennials. There's some that are very, um, yeah, are very millennial-like and they don't want to stay in roles for, for very long and they, want to, they all want to be entrepreneurs and they all want to be, you know, gig, gig economy kind of workers. But also there's, an, there's a lot of very traditional millennials as well who don't have that mindset here. So I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely different. I don't know whether the life stages specifically are different here versus um, other markets, but... Mm. Um. Okay, it's very interesting you are talking about this because uh, um, my next question is really around around that. I'm reading this um, very interesting book from a um, uh, from from an Indian author um, who's writing about his uh, is based in the U.S. He's writing about how you know uh, is the whole Asia. Uh, miracle over, you know, it's, it, there are certain number of structural and social issues that re really would get in the way of Asia kind of moving forward. And one of the things he talks about is gender equality. Yeah? Uh, now, if we talk about um, uh, activism, yeah, if we talk about engagement uh, on the on, on the part of uh, younger women, say either millennials or Gen Z. Uh, do you now? Obviously, it's difficult to put everyone in the same bucket. But do you see them as an agent of change? Uh, and uh, if uh, there is something getting in the way of uh, their engagement, what is that? You think? Um, I think it's it's very different across the region. There's obviously political structures in place that mm. limit a lot of. Um, calling out people protesting for example but if you look at if you look at women in india there's been a lot of protesting against women's security for example that women's voices in india are getting very 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 loud um how loud that is versus in other markets i'm not so sure um i think it, it, it does kind of depend on the issues um yeah, it's, but it's obviously it is harder to, you know, you, w you will never get protests in Singapore like you would in the US or even the where in the UK last weekend. Um, so I think it's there's certainly still a lot of pressure to conform to society mm. in this region and not necessarily every country. Um, keeping parents happy. Sure. <laughs> it's, you know, those sort of that conformity that everybody is tends to be playing within is probably harsher here than it is in other in other countries, but it doesn't mean that the intent isn't there. They're perhaps doing it in different mm. ways. So, in order to create this sense of critical mass of engagement on the part of some people, you if you don't have formal social avenues for expression of that, then perhaps the role of brands is even more important yes. in order to yeah to le legitimize this sort of sentiment and to help others realize that they're not alone in the way they feel and the way they want to change things yeah absolutely yeah i mean i think the brands that are really authentic in terms of what they're delivering and um have a purpose that people can identify with that's that's the brand you'll choose to have a relationship not the one that is going against your values mm -hmm. yeah you're right actually okay um, great. So we've been stirring the pot with uh, Charlotte Wilkinson, and this is the end of part uh, two, Hacking Humans. Tune in for our flame-grilled final segment, Brand Burns. Yeah.